start by being honest with ourselves. As a nation, for decades, we were perfectly happy to write off whole neighborhoods, whole cities, whole generations of young men and women. As long as it was an inner city problem, an urban problem, which is to say, a black people problem, a brown people problem. Send them to prison, into a system from which they'll never return. Maybe now, now that it's really come home to roost, now that it's the high school quarterback, your next door neighbor, your son, your daughter, now that grandma's as likely to be a junkie as anybody else, we'll accept that there has never been a real war on drugs. War on drugs implies an us versus them. And all over this part of America, people are learning there is no them. There is only us. And we're going to have to figure this out together. At the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land, through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest which meant that it was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. But not only did they give the land, they built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents to further their expertise in farming. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farms. Not only that, Today, many of these people are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies not to farm, and they are the very people telling the black man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. And this is what we are faced with, and this is the reality. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! <laughs> Hello, Baltimore. My name is Tyrone Post, owner of BPPW Eating and Cooling. And welcome to our show, The Call Tyrone Show. And I'm here with my millennial co-host, my African-American history and cultural gangsters, Leroy Myers, a graduate student and teaching assistant at the University of Oklahoma. He's in Oklahoma now, by the way. And uh, he, he'll, be, he'll be getting his master's pretty soon in May. And then he'll be working on his Ph.D., by the way. I'm very proud of that young man. His area of study is the dynamics of African-American and Native American history. Say hello, Leroy. Good afternoon, Baltimore. And my other millennial, Zachary Leacock, social media entrepreneur who majored in audio production, radio, TV, and film at Howard University. He is a socially conscious vegan and producer of the Channel 10 podcast featuring interviews with pioneering rap artists. Happy Monday, Baltimore. Okay, happy Monday, Baltimore. Today, we're going to talk about um, economic empowerment, and we're going to also um, show you how to save $700 million, <laughs> okay? This is what the show is going to do. We're going to show you, we're going to illustrate to you how to save $700 million, okay? 700 million big ones. All right. Okay, now, that's been, first of all, there's been a lot of hoopla about, um, you know, the uh, Governor Hogan's plan to uh, spend $700 million to tear down houses and, um, you know, all over, throughout Baltimore and, and start the redevelopment. First of all, you got to read the front, fine print. It's ninety million. It's going to be used to actually tear down the houses, like four thousand or so houses, in the, in the Baltimore uh, uh, area, and the, mainly in, in uh, black neighborhoods, by the way. And uh, what it looks like is ninety million we use to tear down the houses. Then seven hundred, uh, the rest of six hundred million, rather. Sorry, six hundred million is going to be used to uh, uh, aid in development. In other words, giveaways to developers. And just remember this. Case in point, that I want everybody to remember throughout this conversation. If you remember nothing else. Once they reduce those houses to land, the only people capable of uh, doing anything with that land will, or with enough capital to do anything with that land will be the wealthy developers. Okay, So that $600 million is going to probably go to make somebody who's already wealthy, wealthier. Yeah. And uh, by the way, green spaces are nice, but they don't pay taxes. Okay, They, don't, they do not produce tax revenue. They consume tax revenue in the form of upkeep. You got to mow grass. You know, I remember when I was in the army. They had they had um, um, these ammo bunkers. They had uh, uh, goats eating the grass, and the goats would eat the grass down to a certain level. Okay, I ain't seen no goats in Baltimore, <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think they're gonna have goats out there eating that grass in those open spaces. So I guess they're gonna pay somebody a salary to go out there and cut that grass. You know, once they become open spaces. So let's just we're gonna do some third eye analysis on this whole issue, and we're gonna try to figure out a way to save 
$700 million. Now, now they don't have to take it back because they want to give stuff out of the kindness of their heart. And, our, and our, our youth actually earned the money. I hate to say it, but it's, you know it's coming because of the riots. Let's be honest. Okay? Just as the, um, the, the intro to the show says, let's be honest with ourselves, first, first and foremost. Okay? So we know that's why they're, they're giving us this money, the $700 million to Baltimore. And um, I, I, um, I don't know if you guys remember the dollar houses, the dollar house program. Okay. Now, some of you may, some, some of you may be too young to remember it, but it was an unmitigated success, right? It was an overwhelming success, a smashing success. Uh, um, as a matter of fact, I was down in that area near the stadium, um, out of mine, and some of those houses that were dollar houses at one time, those houses got to be worth at least $400,000 right now. And they are beautiful. Um, Audubon, uh, Rizzo's Delights, all the way down there by the stadium, uh, those red brick houses. They were, do- they were selling, most of those houses, believe it or not, if you go down there now, you'll find it hard to believe. And, but they were dollar houses. They cost a dollar. <laughs> However, they did cost money for upkeep. I mean, I mean, I mean to uh, restore them. Uh, let me just go over what happened. There was a, it was a very good article that I was able to pull off the, the net that tells the history of the dollar houses. I'm going to share it with you real quick because it, it pretty much sums it all up. It's a very good summary of what happened. And it said, Mr. Emery managed the dollar house program that the cities ran in the, in the 70s. It was kind enough to provide some historical insight into the program's uh, origins and mechanisms. The program was created in response to rather a um, unique set of circumstances. The city had purchased a number of houses in order to demolish them for construction of Interstate I-70, I, uh, rather, Interstate I-170, which was supposed to be a connector strip to connect I-70 to I-95, neighborhoods on the western edge of downtown, such as Bayer, um, Autobine, and Ridgely Delight, where the city had concentrated property holdings due to the public opposition to the, I'm sorry, due to public opposition to the I-70 construction plan, the project was terminated, though not before the current expressway section of US-40, y'all know that one, on Franklin Street, was completed. Well, that wasn't even completed. They stopped that, you know, midway. It's a highway to nowhere, basically, but it gets you through uh, downtown pretty fast. Okay. Now, the success of the program is based on four key points. So if we reinstate this program, I hope that they follow. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. Okay? A wheel was round for a reason. Don't try to add squares or triangles to the wheel. So don't reinvent the wheel. The program was a smashing success for these four reasons and these four reasons only. Because they tried to reproduce this in other, you know, the federal government tried to reproduce a similar program. Because this was an internationally recognized program and it was a very good success. But they didn't use the tenets that made it successful. They didn't understand what actually made the program successful. Okay? Uh, okay, num- the n- number one was truly low barriers to home ownership. And then they go on to explain that resident homeowners are the lifeblood of the city. Converting renters to homeowners from other locations maintain the vitality of a place. Investing where you live is a heavy incentive to increase your involvement in the community life. Okay, number two, cluster properties. Since the city had purchased whole blocks, and they're talking about tearing down whole blocks, by the way, a property. It is possible to improve large parts of the neighborhood. When an entire block of homes is renovated, simultaneously, residents can see, can see progress on a large scale being made daily. And investment in homes, homeship create financial rewards immediately. Okay, the, the, the third tenant was uh, direct loans from the city. This is the, this is the most important part, people. If you don't pay any attention to this other stuff, this other jargon, pay attention to this. The city... What the city did was, uh, they, the city was selling, okay, so say you couldn't get a loan for these houses, all right? Bottom line, I'm going to just summarize what they said. It's a whole lot of jargon. I'm going to try to summarize it in layman's terms. You couldn't get loans for these houses because you weren't investing in any, any, um, any um, capital towards the person you're in a home. Normally, you, you you'd, uh, invest 20%, and they pay they mortgage 80% of it. And since it's a dollar, that's not nothing, no collateral you're putting up. So what they had to do, what the city had to do, they actually backed the loans. With, um, they actually lent the money to the people and charged 1% interest. Okay? They lent the money to the city. Listen to me. The city lent the money to the people themselves, and they, they um, charged 1% interest. And not one single person defaulted on those loans. Okay? I'm going to say it again. Not one single person defaulted on those loans. Reason being, if you do the math, okay, if let's say the average house costs $100,000 to, uh, to um, renovate, Okay? 
That means if on a 30 year mortgage, it would be 3366 a year. Okay. Which means $280 mortgage every month. Now, if you can't afford a 200, you can afford that on McDonald's fact, uh, salary. Okay. $280 a month. Okay. $280 a month for, for, um, for a home ownership when you own something, where you own something and uh, you have a financial investment in it and a financial investment in your community. And you care about that property because you had to bring it up to code in order to get it. Now, on a 20-year mortgage, that would be $5,000 a year. And I already added the, by the way, I added the interest into it, the 1% interest. That would be $5,000 a year and $420 a month. Okay? Now, if you can't, again, if you can't afford $420 a month for your mortgage or your rent, something's wrong there. Something's wrong with that picture. Are you an adult? I mean, and the, the other thing is, um, even with Section 8 voucher, you go, the government's going to come out good on, on that. Uh, let's say it was a 10-year mortgage, you know, just for sake of argument. That would add up to $841 a month for the mortgage, okay? And that's why that program worked. If you look at it just in today's terms, you know, the, that was the main reason it worked. And by the way, when you, um, when you uh, develop a property and you put buyers in there, they're paying taxes, okay? So that's adding money to the treasury, all right? Now, I see we got calls, but just hold on a second. I'll get right to the calls, but that's just... Uh, just bear with me, man. I just want to go over these points real quick because before people start uh, complaining and all that stuff about, hey, how they going to do this as a handout? That's why I paid that initial thing with Dr. King where he was explaining how land was actually given away. And by the way, there is no parcel of land in this country that wasn't given away for free at one time to sellers. So don't think this is something original. And this is not something that we want that that uh, somebody give away to black people like any program has ever existed in this country. There has never been a uh, program in this country that only affected black people, that only black people got something out of. Everybody uh, got something out of it, including minority programs. Okay, so let's not go there. Okay. Okay, and then they had a dedicated office to help people through the um, through this uh, process of putting this, restoring this house, you know, whatever house you bought. And um, with, they, they, they lined them up with architects and reliable licensed contractors. Now, this will do two things. Not only will it add to the tax base, yeah, uh, it would also have it'll add to employment. The thing about when you bring developers in, let's say you get a developer from uh, California, he's gonna bring his own people with him. Okay, so that's not really helping the community. All right. The thing that I like to see with this type of program is to uh, include people from the community in the rebuilding efforts and train them in trades. Use some of that seven hundred million dollars just throwing it away to somebody that's wealthy. Train them in the trades. Okay, we got a call. Let's let's take the call real quick. Okay, looks like we lost Brother Carlos. Um, if you could call back in, but we're going to go to Marcus. How's it going, Marcus? Yes, how you doing? Don't I remember know. that program well. Okay, how you doing, Marcus? You tell the people how much those houses are worth today. They also, Safer also told them, and look at the planning sheet of that. Go look at the planning sheet at the time those dollar houses were available and see what they were planning in that area of the dollar houses. And Schaefer promised them that if they came and got these 1% interest loans, there would be police protection of the yin-yang. And number three, um, um, you can't even run fast through there without getting locked up. <laughs> you need parking permits, you know what I mean, to be down in that area. You don't belong if you ain't got no ID. Okay, well, I'm not I'm not saying all, any of that's good, Carlos. I agree with what you're saying, that that's probably detrimental to us. But what I'm trying to say is, look, we got $700 million that uh-huh. is coming to Baltimore. And everybody's cheering. Yay, they're going to tear our community down. Yay, we got all this money to tear up our houses, and we don't have enough affordable houses in the community. Woo-hah! Okay, instead of doing something stupid with the money, why don't we take some of that money and um and and uh, rebuild some of these houses in our community because look if you look at the math again seven hundred million they're about to turn down four thousand houses okay now seven hundred million dollars with that you can rebuild seven thousand houses <laughs> you know what I'm saying with, at a hundred thousand dollars a piece you can rebuild seven thousand houses it says turn down four thousand where you get no tax money you rebuild rebuild seven thousand and probably get tax revenue from that rebuilding process after it's done. Right. Okay. okay. That's so, that's what I'm trying so to get people to understand. Now. I mean, why not? Why not do that? I I, I see. I see something. Yeah. I this see. is it's third eye. It's third eye analysis. When the right. city gives you money like that, think about all all the things the city has done for this community. When they right. give you money like that, you got to think about why. You know, what's the uh, hidden agenda? 
Right. Okay. Here, okay. I'm, 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 I'm going to see if I can touch that. Okay. Hidden agenda, I heard, I heard, is what is affordable house? Number one, how much is that a month? You know what I mean? For real, for well, real. Well, that has to come okay. from, uh, that has to come from my federal well, housing standards. I tell you that in order to get Section 8, you got to go out in the boonies where the bus don't run all night. Hmm? Okay, I'm a I'm a remove you out of I'm a remove a certain population out of a certain area. That's both. It's called things. gentrification, uh, Marcus. That's what I was getting at. It's a seven hundred million dollar project to gentrify the area. Basically, that's what it boils down to. To me, from what I where I'm sitting, from where I can see. Uh, um, next caller. Okay. Um, Mar- next up, we have uh, uh, Walter. How's it going, Walter? How's it going, Walter? I, I really respect you, and I, I appreciate your show, man. You've been here for a minute, but it's it's so strong and true. Let's talk about these clowns, Republicans. This this move, welfare for the wealthy, is what you have here. You can see it right over here in Uptown, Upton, the, the uh, new development at Upton, where they're socially engineering that community. And, and I think, if I'm wrong, y'all can correct me, but I think they got a, a, a condominium fee for those the people who they're economically structuring that, that development for. I think they pay a, a service charge to buy their homes, but that's on them. I'm saying to you from around this country, these fools, if government, if they can't profit from government, they don't want government. And that's the Republican Party, folks. But Eric and, 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 and uh, a whole... Can I, can I interject? Can I interject, brother? Look. I don't want to turn this into a Republican, and uh, let me let me finish. Let me finish, sir, 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 sir. Democrats were. Hold on a second. Hold on a second, sir. Okay. Hold on. You still got him? Yep. Okay. Just just a second, sir. I want to get. I want to interject something in there. I'm not even trying to turn this into a Republican or Democrat thing. I'm not even gonna go that far. And I and, and I don't have a lot of love for the Republicans to tell you the truth. But what I will say is that this stuff is going on. The the uh, the neglect and the blight in our communities has been going on for years, and nobody's corrected it. And now, all of a sudden, after years of neglect and blight, and after a riot, they, it seems like they want to hide the evidence, you know. And, they, and to me, it's both the it's the people in power period that are in cahoots with the, with this whole idea of uh, turn, spending seven hundred million dollars to tear down the houses with no perceived uh, gain by the citizens of Baltimore, other than wealthy developers. Okay, you put them back on. Okay, Walter, you're back on. Absolutely, brother. I'm saying to you, we I, I moved up here ten years ago from Washington D.C. in the, the midst of their regentrification. Right. Where they dropped the bomb or the rat poison called crack on the neighborhood, and and you could walk into a house that I'm renting, what was being used as a, a illegal den for crack, and claim my house. This is how bad this situation is. You, you're absolutely right. It's not Democrat or Republican, but it is a white thing, a supremacist type of ideology, as, as Martin Luther King was saying. How dare you? But let's bring it up to the day. The idea that the drug epidemic, all of a sudden, how do you like that one? Now, I will, I will close with that. Do you see how right you are when we compare this drug uh, 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 concern now that they've taken a black face off of it and we see what the drug, the heroin epidemic and, and whatnot is all about? Am I wrong about that, brother? No, you're not, sir. Th- thank you for your comments. I respect y'all, but, but really, the, the way these people are, because people in Baltimore I voted for Hogan too, and they—they they actually think they're going to get some out of this uh, six hundred million, uh, seven hundred million. But <laughs> All right, sir. All right, sir. Uh, we're going to move on. Thank you for your comments. Appreciate Thank you so much. It. Call back next week, Walter. Okay. Now, Mr. Embry, who is uh—he works for the Abrams Foundation now. He considers that program to be an unmitigated success. If you take a stroll through any of the uh, neighborhoods I mentioned, you'll find them to be some of the most charming places in Baltimore. Consider that the city uh, treasury grew through running this program. And they actually made money off that 1% interest anyway, too, on top of it, because nobody defaulted. And, it, and, and they also increased their tax uh, revenue base. And it certainly seemed like win-win for the city government, the new homeowners, and the city at large. Anyway, the worst thing that can happen if, if we go that route is um, we're, we're back to where we started, which is a bunch of rundown houses, but... Not, if nothing else, the houses will be a step more towards livable if somebody if somebody can't finish the job. But I believe a lot of these houses could be renovated because I've been in a lot of these houses that have been renovated. I put AC systems in a lot of them. 
And like I said, I have a client who's an Asian, and she's going to she wants to buy her house in Baltimore City. So there are people constantly putting these houses together, and they have programs, by the way, that was that were nothing near what the Dollar House program was. You had a program called Scope, and I remember I sold real estate uh, a few years ago. One of my, I got three professional licenses now, but one of my licenses back then, I think I had four back then, was a real estate license, and I actually. Uh, Assisted my brother who was buying a bunch of vacant properties to uh, get um, a Scopes property. It was under the Scopes program. They wanted him to pay $20,000 for the house. And then he had to uh, show that he had $150,000 in collateral to fix the house up. And then once he uh, said, look, I got $150,000, you know, he showed them the money in the bank, bank statements. They said, no, you got to borrow the money. So they forced him to borrow the money, even though he had the money. And so he borrowed the money, met all the requirements. I had to do all, all the forms of triplicate. And then he paid the money back, like, the next day, which is so stupid. And he, I was telling him, I said, look, don't try to understand these people. Don't try to use logic. Just do what they want. We'll get the house, and we'll keep it moving. And then, then basically, that, 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 that program was a disaster. They changed it to something called Vacants to Value, where you need to show $90,000 that you got $90,000. Now, what fool with $90,000 in their pocket going to buy a house in the hood? Okay? So these programs, to me, are, have been generated to actually uh, favor the developers. Zach, you got anything? Before you go um, to the callers? I mean, the question that I just wanted to ask is, why did it stop right there in those areas, um, you know, by the stadiums and by Johns Hopkins? Why didn't it, um, you know, why didn't the program continue and, you know, move out to other blighted communities in the city? Well, the, from what I read, they, and it was kind of cynical what they were saying. From what I read, they said the main reason they stopped it is because it worked. And they had already gentrified. Yes, I saw that too. They, yeah, you saw it too. They had already gentrified, gentrified the areas they wanted to gentrify. So they simply stopped the program. They didn't want to keep didn't give away houses uh, for a dollar to people that might not actually, you know, need a, a place to stay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, let's see the next call. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we have Brother Carlos. How's it going, Brother Carlos? Oh, hey, hey, my brothers. How you doing today? All right, Carlos. How, how's it going, bro? Hey, look, uh, great, great information and everything, you know, uh, you probably need to become a housing commissioner or something. <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't go that far. I'm not corrupt enough for that. I can't qualify. I'm not corrupt enough, Carlos. <laughs> Let me uh, ask you a question. And just to join, this, this might be on another off the subject, but what's your take on this uh, uh, jaw-dropping, uh, eye-popping revelation by the Nixon administration uh, uh, former official John Ehrlichman. H.R. Haldeman, I believe is his name. Go ahead. That the, that the war on drugs was actually a concoction to uh, destroy the black and brown neighborhoods. And um, well, well, Carlos, I knew about that a long time ago. That many cut you off, and we actually um, we actually had a show where we actually uh, put that forward. I'm, I'm sure nobody believed us, but but we actually had a show. I remember that Zach? It was like yeah. a few shows ago mm-hmm. where we actually uh, put forward a Michelle Alexander clip where she explained that the uh, war on drugs was actually a way to try to flip. It was more political than anything else. It was a way to, to uh, a lot of the, the whites that were uh, Dixiecrats, they were angry at the gains that the blacks had made after uh, civil right, after civil rights movement. And they had to compete for them for, for the first time for housing and, and schooling and, and for their kids, for, to people that they th- were taught their whole life they were, that were inferior to them. So in order to get those people to come up to the Republican Party, um, those, those last remnants of Di- Dixiecrats, what uh, Nixon wanted to do is, is he, he employed something which was called the Southern Strategy. And all of this comes out of H.R. Haldeman's uh, diaries, by the, by the way. And he told his wife, I want these things published uh, when I die. And uh, they, they ended up getting them published. But that was called the Southern Stra- Strategy. It was supposed to sl- flip the South uh, to the Republican Party, the Democrats in the South to the Republican Party, the last remnants of the Dixiecrats. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, oh yeah, that's good. That's good information. Um, but this last revelation it comes out of it, and it's funny how right. when politicians get older and they 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 about uh, to go to hell. I'm sorry, I should have said that. that they come forth with the truth. But the thing that I'm wouldn't this be emblematic of the Republic Klan Party? Even though you don't want to go political, Republic Klan Party. Well, well, that, uh, that, to that point. Um, when Nixon uh, came with that idea, it was a rhetorical war. And what Reagan did was turn into a literal one. Nixon got put out of office, if you remember. He, w- he was on the way to being impeached, but before he could be impeached, he resigned. Right. And, then, and that way he couldn't, he, he couldn't implement that program. So then we had Jimmy Carter, you know, Ford, Jimmy Carter, and, you know, 
and, and whatnot. And then Reagan came back and he, he, he put the plan in full effect in the 80s. And it led to mass incarceration and all the ills, pretty much all the ills you see in now as a result of the mass incarceration of the black male. If you think about it, a lot of people, they underestimate the damage that the war on drugs has done because we don't want to accept that. It's too ugly for us to accept. So we, we tend to stick our head in the sand and pretend like we don't have a drug problem in this country and that the war on drugs is, is all right. It's okay to, to lock up as many black people, young black males as possible in order to save, you know, the country from drugs. But if I came to you and said, look, I got a plan to stop drugs in this country, but what it's going to have to do is destroy at least two, two generations of black youth, okay, in, in, in urban environments. And uh, it might work, but we, we got to try this. But at least it'll, it'll forestall it from the white community. Would you agree to that? Uh, I'm not sure because I think there might be some other alternatives, uh, you know, like... Uh, you, would, you mean you would, you, Carlos, you mean you would say it's okay to destroy two generations of black youth and we don't have to wait to a third one to try to um, fight the war on drugs? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure uh, that that would be a good solution. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm possibly <laughs> sure it's not a good solution. You know, that's, 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 that's unreasonable to me. And I think we need to look at things that other countries are doing like Portugal and right. Switzerland, they actually legalize right. all drugs, and right. uh, they you can get heroin <laughs> at the clinic. And uh, what they'll do is they they they'll wean you off of it. They give you real heroin. They I give you methadone. They want wow. you to get off of that stuff. Let me finish. And um, they none of those countries want to go back to what they had before because they what, what they did they had a very high uh, they had crime rates and high AIDS rates and everything else. And they said we can't get, just keep putting our people in jail. We got to do something about this. And they did something that actually worked. And nobody in Portugal ever wants to go back to what they had before. Well, okay? I'm, thinking, I'm thinking of something like the Marshall Plan. Or that, yeah, we need that, too, the Marshall Plan. Yeah. But we need something to stop these young black males to let them know, hey, you need, you need going to need a diploma and a job to survive in this country. You can't right. just sell drugs. You can't right. give them that alternative. we got to take the profit motive out of drugs if we want to reduce crime in this country. Right. And it'll never happen until we do that. Right. I got you. Thank you for your time. I uh, thank you, Carlos. Right. Thank you so much. Call again. Okay, and next up we have Leo. Leo, how's it going? Yeah, good afternoon, uh, Brother Tyrone. How's it going there, Leo? My compliments. You're on the money. You're exactly <laughs> right. You're 100%, 100,000% right. And uh, the reality is that there's no difference between the Democratic and Republican Party when it comes to rich white men Absolutely not. who are developers who are ripping us off. I totally agree. And, and who want to change the power dynamics this is a majority black city, Baltimore City, but they want to change that equation. And they will scatter us to the four winds, uh, whether it's Section 8 or any way they can. So when you start talking about gentrification and urban renewal, that is by design. So what the governor is doing, he's doing it in concert, the Holy Alliance with Stephanie Rawlins-Blake and the Democratic political machine. They want white folks in the driver's seat here, not the least of which is this most recent Port Covington thing and this policy of tax incremental financing. Right. You know, they, you know what the Sun called that? They called it, when they were talking about doing that in Harvard County, they called it, um, they called it corporate welfare. Of, uh, they called it a flim-flam scheme of corporate well, welfare. That's well, what the that Sun called it. It is corporate <laughs> welfare, and, and, and the deal has already been cut with Bill Cole, who's a friend of Elijah Cummins. Bill Cole. I'm, so, I'm is, sorry. I mean, they were talking about SIFs in Harvard County, not, not Covington. Go ahead. I'm well, sorry. Bill Cole is the buddy of Elijah Cummins. Bill Cole runs the Baltimore Development Corporation. They work with the Greater Baltimore Committee to disenfranchise black folks and empower white folks. So you're right on the money. Thank God for your leadership. <laughs> right on, because they're, they're doing everything they can to destroy us. And if we don't push back, we're, we're going to be destroyed. Right. We got to speak up, Leo. And we got to use our third eye analysis when they're doing these things, because there's always a hidden agenda. Do, you know, do, they tell you not to pay attention to the man behind the curtain. Do you realize, <laughs> do you <laughs> you realize they're running a multi-million dollar campaign on television advertising right now yeah. promoting on the internet too. Covington. On, on the internet too. On, on, yeah. Now, if we, get, if, we, if they go through that project and pay $500 million, half a billion dollars in tips, and we get the black community and these disadvantaged communities get nothing out of it in the way of jobs or anything, which they usually don't, no, <laughs> then, listen, then that's, no a, that's a crime. That's criminal. If we don't have contractual relations with Under Armour, and they're all white board of directors. If we don't have a con contract that says 
Cherry Hill gets X number 500 jobs. Absolutely. Uh, I agree. It's got to be legally written in a document, a contractual document that says, and that we will hire X offenders. We're going to hire people with these criminal records. That's right. And and, and give them a a living wage or or lead them to a training, apprenticeships or whatever to lead to a living wage. It's got to be specified in those documents. We shouldn't be just giving away taxpayers' dollars for a half a billion dollars of taxpayer dollars for 10 years uh, for nothing and, and get nothing in return. Most of your city councilmen and the president of the city council and the mayor are already on board with this fiasco called Port Covington where we're getting ripped off. Oh, oh, they're on board with the $700 million of tearing down houses too, uh, Leo, and yeah. give, give the money to wealthy developers. Amen. Okay. God All right, man, keep up the good work. All right, thank you for your call. Thank you so much, Leo. Okay, right now Let's go to Leroy. To... Let's go to Leroy first. Leroy. Okay. Are you there? Um, and, you know, when it comes to, you know, the what we're talking about today, you know, the importance of really revitalizing neighborhoods, um, a recent sociological study from Harvard by Raj Shetty, Nathaniel Hendren, and Lawrence Katz, they analyzed a project called uh, Moving to Opportunity, which offered selected families living in high-poverty areas um, vouchers to move to lower-poverty neighborhoods. And Baltimore was one of the... Uh, the major uh, cities for this program. And the study concluded that moving to a lower poverty neighborhood improves college attendance rates and earnings for children who were below the age of 13 and they were less likely to become single parents. So, you know, when you give people a chance, positive results will show. Yeah. Oh, oh no doubt. No doubt, uh, Leroy. Good point. Good point made. My only problem with this program, though, is that they're taking $700 million to destroy housing stock when we're supposed to have a shortage of affordable housing in the city. And uh, and once you destroy that, the only people, once you reduce that property to land, the only people with the, enough capital to do anything with that land, it becomes a land grab, uh, are the wealthy developers. Okay? <laughs> once you reduce that to land, it's gone. You know, the average citizen doesn't have the wherewithal to take land and make it into a house. You know? And and, and so, to me, when if they're going to take $90 million dollars, Look at the house, how it's rolling. And tear the houses down with the $90 million. And the, the bulk of the money, $600 million, is for development. That's telling me they're giving away $600 in, in corporate welfare. Okay? And that's a, that's, that's untenable to me. As far as as far as far all the poverty of this city and the joblessness, with places in Sandtown, Winchester, that has a 58 uh, uh, point, what was it, the figure? Uh, 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 51%? You mean yeah, 51.8% unemployment. unemployment in Sandtown, Winchester, according to the Justice Policy Institute. That's untenable. Next caller. Okay, next up we have Gene. Gene, how's it going this afternoon? Yeah, uh, you guys are rocking and rolling, man. Um, the, the, okay, one, one thing that I'm focusing on right now is, the, you know, education. We, uh, I would suggest that everybody go back to Brown versus the uh, Board of Education and, and work your way up so that you can understand the process and how we got to where we are in the education system. Because if you look at uh, Brown 2, which was uh, Green versus the Board of Education, and then you also had... Uh, what was it? Um, um, oh man! Oh man! Oh, um, Swan, and then you had uh, uh, Mil- you know Milligan, and I think it was right. some- Keys was also in the middle there. All of them versus the Board of Education. All the way up to all, all the way up to Fisher versus Texas. There you go. <laughs> but I'm saying, but you have to go back and, and understand that process to see where we are in the education system now. And I think uh, after we do that, and then uh, you know we can address the, the the problem in education because what is it? Uh, uh, the Department of uh, Health, Education, and Welfare is really where the funding comes from. And once we can tap into that and have representatives, like Leo said, Brother Elijah Cummings, people are not bringing home the bacon to the people. Which is why for term limits. Say it again. <laughs> which is why for term limits. This whole crop of this whole crop of politicians need to, need to just go away, exactly. and we need a new brand of uh, revolutionary politicians exactly. in there with revolutionary ideas. Yes. Those old ideas work failed policies. I mean, you guys are putting it out there, and it's, it's, it's part of this is the people educating themselves and understanding the process and the history of how we got to where we are. Absolutely, oh, absolutely. Thank you, my Thanks for calling in. And now what we're going to do is we're going to go to commercial break, and then after that, we're going to talk about when when um, black communities actually thrive. We're going to talk about some poweronomics after that, and show you what, you know how we used to do it. When, when black did your air conditioning go bust this summer, or do you need a new furnace for the coming winter? Those other companies tried to reduce my family's bank account to zero. 
But when we called Tyrone, he became our hero. Hello, this is Tyrone, owner of BPPW, telling you don't be overcharged for your air conditioning and heating installations. BPPW can install a new furnace, heat pump, or air conditioning system at very reasonable rates. Don't wait until icicles are hanging off your nose this winter. Call BPPW now at 410-978-6889. We currently offer a 10-year warranty on parts and labor and a lifetime warranty on compressors for air conditioning and heat pump installations. You may qualify for a 30% tax rebate on some installations. So, before you go with the other guys, call Tyrone now at 410-978-6889. Okay, we're going to uh, go right into uh, When Black uh, Businesses Thrive by Dr. Carl, uh, Claude Anderson. 1866, and uh, and up to about 19, into the 1920s, black folk had the greatest economic achievement they've ever had in this country. Even though even under, if it didn't occur under integration, it occurred under segregation. Those black folk had, had managed to acquire over 20 million acres of land. In night, according to the United States Census in 1920, 20 million acres of land. But between 1920s and 1950s, they lost almost all of it. Back in the 1920s and up to the 1940s, we had black broom factories, we had black mattress factories. Almost every black major city had at least two cab companies. We had uh, we had black bus companies. We had black shipyard up here in Baltimore. And when I say black bus lines, I'm not talking about just having three or four buses. We had over 500 buses, and, our, and this is in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And our bus, our bus company didn't just service just the black neighborhoods, it serviced the blacks and the white neighborhoods. We had two black cab companies. We had the Harris Cab Companies and the Campbell City Cab Companies. But they used to have their own restaurants, they had the best nightclubs in the country. The black blacks had two baseball leagues. Each baseball league had eight teams. We had over 500 of the best baseball players in the world. But what did they do? They wanted to integrate. So as soon as they put Jackie Robinson with the, with the, with the, on, the, on the Brooklyn Dodgers, black folks said, we'll give up all of our black baseball leagues, black teams, and all our black players, and we can just get one black boy to play on a white team. Now, black Americans were, were gung-ho about integration because we thought that would be our passport to freedom. We equated integration with freedom. Okay. All right, now we're not, you know, if 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 you want to integrate or whatever, that's your your, you know, we're not trying to be racist or anything like that. We're just putting that out there as far as the fact that black people have been able to achieve a lot of things in this country. In this country, uh, um, places like um, uh, Tulsa, what it what it actually destroyed Tulsa uh, with the Tulsa rise. I know you all know about that. The Black Wall Street. That it was actually the first place in the country where they actually dropped dynamite. They dropped. Dynamite on on uh, Greenwood, which was the black part of uh, Tulsa, and the Tulsa, the, the black district where they had all kinds of business. They tried to bomb, tried to bomb on it. Uh, the only place in the United States has actually been bombed. Killed three hundred people. That riot, mostly black, killed three hundred people um, because the people were just jealous. They said that the, um, and you can look this up. It's on the internet. They got films about it and everything else. Um, but it was a it was a horrible incident. We had similar things like that happen all over the country. Uh, Rosewood was a prime example. A Rosewood community in Florida, where they went in there and burned the same thing. They said a, a black man t- uh, attacked a white woman, and they went <laughs> or assaulted her without any proof. They just went in there and uh, burned the whole black community to the ground. And uh, they found out later that though the, the, the uh, white woman was supposed to be sleeping around with somebody, and she didn't want her husband to know about it, and that's what it was all about. So she she blamed it on a black. Um, man, and that's what the maid actually said. Uh, the maid actually, she was interviewed, and she said that's what went down. And said, "Well, no, no black man attacked her at all. Um, it was a black maid, by the way." But um, yeah, we've had these things, and uh, let's go to um, uh, Congressman Payne from New Jersey. Let's uh, see what he has to say about uh, black empowerment. After the Civil War, though employment prospects were slim for former enslaved men. Isaac Myers organized a thousand black ship caulkers who had lost their jobs in Baltimore, created a union, bought a shipyard, and won a government contract to provide employment for these men. In 1903, Maggie Lena Walker pooled her community's money together to charter 
the St. Luke's Penny Savings Bank. This bank was for the community, by the community, and provided a safe and courteous place to conduct business away from the racism and harsh treatment often encountered in white-owned businesses. In 1906, a young entrepreneur by the name of Dr. O. W. Gurley bought 40 acres of land in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He created and supported the creation of several businesses which attracted African Americans fleeing the oppression in Mississippi. The area became known as Black Wall Street and was a home to several prominent black businesses created jobs and provided a safe haven for African Americans who were banned from other sections of the town. We well know that Madam C.J. Walker revolutionized black hair care and was America's first black female millionaire. However, she also used her financial power to contribute to anti-lynching campaigns and other efforts to equalize for blacks, rights for blacks in America. These are a few of the countless examples of black entrepreneurs who through their businesses and their philanthropic efforts have empowered the black community through their business efforts. Okay, so as you can see, we have a, a, a very rich history of, uh, of uh, black entrepreneurship. And I think that's going to be, along with uh, land ownership, that's some of the tenants that we should start to look at as a way to pull us out of this hole. <laughs> Basically, we're in a hole. And, and that $700 million that's going in that, in that hole uh, for the developers is going to do a bit of good for us and our communities. And we've got to be here, Zach. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, you know, the way that this all connects to me is, you know, previously you spoke of, um, you know, when they knock all the houses down, the only people with the capital to do anything with the land um, are going to be the wealthy developers. And, you know, unfortunately, um, due to, <laughs> you know, the history of our people in this country, we're not the ones who um, have the capital to be able to do that. And we once did. And if we once did, then uh, we can do it again. So definitely entrepreneurship to be able to, you know, uh, get the capital to, you know, be able to take advantage of, um, you know, if the houses were to be knocked down, um, you know, it could actually benefit us and, you know, the money could come to us instead of these developers that want to push us out. Um, yeah, but as one of our calls indicated, with this war on drugs, this thing is universal. It's happening all over the country, people. It's not just uh, unique to Baltimore. If you look at it, the same type of crap they're doing to us here in Baltimore is happening in every major urban area in the United States. And we need to pay attention to what's actually causing the problem. And that, that war on drugs, again, is not nothing to be laughed about because the same thing. You got people uh, in these communities, you know, being paid to, ch to hunt our children down like wildebeest and put them in jail. Okay? <laughs> like they're on a nature preserve or something and put them in jail. You know? And then it's resulting in, in a lot of uh, uh, unemployment and unemployable people with criminal records and, and the like. And, and like I said, we've already lost one generation, uh, two generations of black males with this, and working on a third, and we can't afford to do that, people. We cannot afford to do, lose a third generation of African-American males. So we got to start looking at things like this. And by the way, let's go with Dr. Claude. I see we got a caller, but let's, before we get the caller, let's go with Dr. Claude Anderson, who benefits from incarceration, and see what he has to say about this, this mass incarceration thing. 40% of all the black men in America are either in prison, on parole, or probation. 40%. And black women want to know why they don't have any husbands or fathers to their children. In the state prisons, 47% of your state prisoners are black. 52% of your federal prisoners are black. And 96%, 96% of all the prisoners in the United States, all the black prisoners, 96% are black men and nobody cares. Nobody seemed to care. Now this is not new, because you see what's gonna happen now, you're gonna have a new growth industry in this country. The new growth industry is gonna be owning, operating, building prisons, and selling services and goods to them. And there are two major corporations right now, I'm gonna give you the names, have already set up a big contract to take over some of the monies of it. The government passed what's called the crime, Omnibus Crime Bill for $29 billion to build more prisons in the United States. And two big companies have found out they can get $82,000 for every jail cell they build and $27,000 a year to operate the prison for per prisoner. And just in all those black prisoners you find, just the black male prisoners, 
for supplying them with shaving lotion, underarm deodorant, and soap. That is a $3 billion a year industry and black people don't get a penny out of it. People are already making money off of our people in prison. And nobody even cares about where the money is going and how they're making the extra money, even after they criminalize you. Okay, that was uh, Dr. Claude Anderson, the author of Powernomics. Now, the way he describes Powernomics is social economic judo. Okay, <laughs> Anybody that's been in martial arts before, yeah, you understand what judo is. It's not to be played with. You know, you use your opponent's weight against him. Okay? And, uh, and then you could take out a, a much bigger opponent using judo by leveraging his own weight against them, unbeknownst to him. And it's very devastating when you drop somebody on the ground, slam on the ground. That's almost twice your size. Go ahead. And um, I just wanted to rehash the point. Um, when we speak about uh, mass incarceration, um, you know, we're not excusing any type of criminal activity. We're just pointing out the fact that, um, you know, white people and black people do the same things at the same rates, but we don't go to prison at the same rate. So um, it's apparent that, you know, black people are being targeted um, for certain things. And that's um, exactly why uh, the mass incarceration and the prison industrial um the uh, prison industrial complex has been a, a problem for us. Okay, before before we go to the calls, let's uh, talk about uh, Dr. Claude Anderson's five tenets of uh, powernomics, the five tenets of powernomics. Everything must not be done on a vertical order. The first is like a five-story building. Right. The first story in that building is economics. You must always deal with economics first in a five-story building. Forget all this crap about what I'm going to deal with education. Forget education. The first thing you must deal with is economics. And the second floor is politics. The third floor is court and police department. The fourth floor is media. And the fifth floor is education. We have been bamboozled, misled, miseducated to always try to jump to the top floor, to the fifth floor, give an education and come back down. It won't work. You must always deal with an economic base first. You must build businesses and industry. You build businesses and industry, forget about the second floor, which is politics. You build those businesses and industry until you learn how to acquire wealth, power, economic wealth. Then you take the money from that first floor, and you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician who you cannot buy on the second floor, you rent or lease it. And then you send him up to the third floor. He then goes to the third floor with these instructions. You go to that third floor and you learn how to control the court system. Dr. Claude Anderson, uh, author of Powernomics. Excellent dissertation. Um, next, we're going to go to the calls. Okay, next up we have Mark. How's it going, Mark? Yeah. How's it going, Mark? Yeah, my name is Mark. Uh, I run a program called Clean Slate America. We specialize in criminal record expungements. Um, you know, a lot of times people fail to recognize what you gentlemen are talking about now, about the money that's being made because people have criminal records. Hey, and Mark, can you speak up a little bit? Your phone is kind of low. We, we want to hear what you guys say. We want the audience to hear. Well, you know, people fail to recognize that. Sounds very important. Stated, the money that's made because uh, such a significant amount of the population has Absolutely. a criminal record cannot become employed. But what many people fail to recognize is that not only are taxpayers paid to keep these gentlemen and women incarcerated, but once they're released, we still pay because they have a criminal record. They can't get a job. Absolutely. Now they're dependent upon the government to support them. Cash, not food stamps, medical assistance. And if they can't they get any of that, and sometimes they can't because of their situation, where they don't have a, a residence, some of them end up homeless, then they resort to crime. And sometimes oh, they resort to crime when they can't get that. It's all designed, brother. Yeah. You know, if if you can get away with paying your employee ninety cents a day and make millions of dollars off their labor, you never want to lose that employee. So the deck is stacked so that once they're released, they have a criminal record, cannot find employment. Odds are, 
through recidivism, they're going to reoffend right. and, and come back, and you can continue to make millions of dollars off their labor. And to absolutely, and to your point, uh, most most seven uh, percent of people that are released because of exactly what you, precisely what you said end up recidivating within three years. Absolutely. And while they're absolutely. waiting to recidivate, it doesn't take them three years to commit a crime. It, t- it takes them three years to get yeah. caught. So while yeah. they're waiting to recidivate, so they're committing so crimes in our neighborhoods and making yeah. our neighborhoods unsafe. So this hurts all of us. Said, stockholders are making millions of dollars. Even the companies that supply the toilet paper, they're stockholders. Absolutely. It's yeah. a big industry. But, but even so, while they're released, they can't find employment. Then you have the welfare to work then to start making millions of dollars. Because if they have children, the system says you've got to look for a job. Right. So we're going to pay a workforce readiness vendor to help you find a job, right. which we, they won't. Which you won't. Then, Absolutely. Which he won't. Exactly. <laughs> so now we're paying a, a workforce readiness vendor, and this, the uh, taxpayers are also paying uh, child care vouchers, because if they're looking for a job and social services mandating they look for a job, then they've got to pay someone to watch their children. Mark, you so don't... You, money being made. Mark, I'm oh. glad you called in because you'd be surprised when people walk, of our people walking around sleep that don't even Absolutely. realize this stuff is going on right under their nose, hidden Absolutely. in plain sight. We're, we're a commodity. We're like rice. We're a commodity. We're being right. bought the, and sold on a daily basis. And the average middle-class black person has no idea about no this whatsoever. stuff. And, and their tax dollars are paid to continue to support these people instead of them talking to their legislators to help folks find a job so that we all can be productive. Absolutely. Or at least help us find a way to uh, build more incubating programs so that we can become more business owners. Because that's, as it was said earlier, that's really the answer. Because a dog is not going to hire a cat. We can't depend <laughs> on other people to hire Right, you don't walk into a Chinese uh, restaurant and see black people dogs. making fried rice, do you? Or you don't go to an Italian restaurant and see uh, black people making uh, spaghetti? That's right. Or pieces. That's right. <laughs> so there you it's go. It's up to us to take care of us. The cavalry ain't coming. There you go. We're on our own. Thank um, you, gentlemen. Thank, thank you. you, sir. Thank you for calling in. Call next Absolutely. week. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, next up we're going to go to Dave. How's it going, Dave? How's it going, Dave? Hey, how's it going, guys? All right. Doing all right. We're doing fantastic. If I felt any better, I'd pass out from excitement. Because the word's getting out. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Hey, hey, I got a question for you about the housing thing. Um, yeah, go ahead. Um, <laughs> Shoot. Those houses, there's 4,000 houses they want to turn, tear down, right? Right. They, they, they want to spend $90 million to tear the houses down, $94 million to be exact, to tear the houses down. And then they want to take six hundred million and uh, for development, which means corporate welfare for for wealthy developers. Go ahead. <laughs> so, so who, I'm 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 assuming that these houses are all owned by the city, right? Not not no. They could be acquired by the city though. If they're not owned already outright, what they do, what the city does, from my understanding, is they they write them a citation and give them ninety days to, to fix the code violations. And then if they don't, they take the house through the court system. All right. So basically, the houses are all abandoned by the previous owner. Yeah, which are mainly developers. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the <laughs> they're the, they're the that's biggest the violators. I wanted, I wanted to get to. I was trying to figure out. A lot of those people don't even live in Baltimore that own those houses. A lot of them mm-hmm. are, are live out in the counties and, and some in other states. All right. So and that's what we're so trying my, to get away my, from. My, my whole thing is this, and I agree with what you're saying, but you got to understand that, you know, those houses were all investments, right? So the city's going to buy those back. And then they're going to tear it down and let and bring developers back in, investors back in again, to do the same thing, over again. So to me, you know, it's just the same cycle. Well, my my thing, again. Dave. The reason why I suggested the uh, dollar program, dollar house program. Let's let's try it because number one, it worked. Okay, mm-hmm. it's a, it's an unmitigated success, as Mr. Embry indicated. Okay, who ran, who ran the program? And everybody, every source I read about that program said that it was a stunning success. Okay. Number two, it gives ownership to the people in the community. They feel like they have an investment in the community, not some developer that lives in California somewhere who could care less. And and, and so people want to, you know, they want to have clean blocks and all this kind of stuff that we that we remember from the old days. And um, it 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 uh it, it also supply it 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 boosts the treasury because you're putting money back into the treasury with, from the taxpayers' dollars. Okay, because you're paying tax, state and local taxes on those houses, so the state benefits. And so does the city of Baltimore. Okay, so it's a win-win situation for the person that, that needs that, that affordable housing. And, and it's going to be new housing by the time they rebuild it, you know. And if you get the $100,000 loan for 1%, you can, you, trust me, you can afford $28 a week. I mean, a, a month to live somewhere, okay? If you can't, you got a problem. 
So I think it's a brilliant program. I think they should try it. And the worst that can happen is they save seven hundred million dollars. I mean, human. They, they. I mean, we're where we started, which I don't think. I think it's going to be a success if we do it that way. If we don't deviate from the original plan and stop, you know, like because they have a federal program that deviates from that plan, and it doesn't work because they deviated from the one percent loan. You know, that's the important part of the plan. Don't take that out. Don't reinvent the wheel. It worked. Let's keep it that way. Well, Tyrone, were you able, like, say me, if I had twenty dollars, could I buy twenty houses? I don't think I don't think that should be the case, Dave. I think it should be individual at first. If it, if it, if it works out that they can't, I, the last time they tried this, they had to raffle the houses off because so many people were interested. Yeah, I remember. I remember. Yeah. I have I have friends of mine. I had a friend who became a millionaire from that program. Yeah, um, me too. I yeah. think we know the same. Person. <laughs> same, person, yeah. He well, ended up on drugs, you're though. Right. I, agree, I agree wholeheartedly. That's what they need to do. I was just, I couldn't remember. I think that's a better idea than the idiocy banned. of stealing taxpayer dollars to give to a wealthy investor. Um, right. Thank you, Dave. Thank you so much All for right. your comment, Dave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bye-bye. Yeah. Okay, next up we have James. How's it going, James? Hey, James. Yeah, good evening. The hey. dollar program, Holly, come on, let's be real, man. That's not, that program is, is, is not going to work. Do you know how much it costs to rehab a house? About $100,000, Dave. No, you can you can rehab. I can rehab for me. I'm doing the work. Well, ten thousand dollars. If you're doing ten thousand dollars. No, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> for me, if I'm rehabbing a house right now myself, it's going to cost me. I'm doing the work. It's going to cost me thirty thousand dollars. Okay. Well, what's the problem? Now listen, well, listen. Well, that's what I'm trying to tell you. If a person don't have no knowledge of the work, how in the world if you buy a house for a dollar, you want to try to rehab a house? Because Dave, 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 slow down. Slow your roll, man. Slow your roll. The last, let, 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 let me, let me, okay, you asked me a question. Let me ask a question, Dave. The, late, the, the way the program worked the last time, if you can't do the work yourself, you hire somebody. And, they can't afford it. That's okay, that's where the 1% loan, loan, Dave, slow down. That's where James. the 1% loan comes in. Listen, man. I mean, James, I'm sorry, James, I'm sorry. Come Go on. Ahead. Go ahead, James. In order to get a loan, let's get it real. In order to get a loan, you got to have threats. Right, you gotta have credit. Now that's gotta be looked at. James, it should be like I think it should be like the uh, the the car loan program. Your your jobs are credit. Okay, it's got they gotta simplify the program so it will work for the community. That's all I'm saying. But they gotta try it. And it initially wasn't a bank loan; it was a loan from From the the city. city With the banks wouldn't do it. The banks wouldn't do it, James. They got something. They got something going on right now where they got investment property out there. They they're giving first time homeowners first time homeowners the option. To buy these houses before the investors buy these houses. And right, it's a stupid program. Because, because you need to show ninety thousand dollars. You got, need to show that you have. If it's, you show the vacancy of value, you got to show ninety thousand dollars. Show that you got ninety thousand dollars in order to get to qualify. And how many people walk around with ninety thousand dollars in their pocket going to buy a house in the hood? Now, what I'm saying is the program. Listen to me, James. Listen to me. You're a dollar, but the program can work. It's got to be simplified, though. It can't be as complicated as what you're saying. It won't work. It's got to be the way we explained it. You had you just had a call before me. If you had twenty dollars, can you buy twenty houses? No, this he should not be, be able to do that. Be dealing with. He should not be able to do that. But that's, I'm just telling you. That's what I'm saying. That you're gonna be dealing with. Okay, man. we no. have to uh, right, start we got, wrapping up. Look, We're coming to the end. Yeah, we're coming of the, to the end, uh, James. But I can see I'm not convinced you of this. So I was. I would suggest you do your reading on that program. Go online. Go online and Google the Dollar House program, sir. Go online and Google it. We don't have time to sit and argue back and forth because I'm sure I'm not going to convince you. And then we're going to go down the same route. We're going to pay that $700 million and $600 million to wealthy developers. Fine. You want to do that? I think that's a dumb idea, personally. And uh, I think even if you renovate a house for $100,000 at 1%, that's quite a bargain. Okay? If you, if you pay somebody to do it. And it will help improve, and, and it'll help employ our community, too, if we run that program right. And that's one thing we need in our community with, with uh, the 51.8% unemployment rate in Sandham, Winchester, and places like that. And 50% in the city as a whole for black for the black community, uh, young black males. I think that would be an excellent program to help mitigate some of our pathologies in our um, city. And thank you for your time. I enjoyed all the callers. It was a very good discussion. And I would advise everybody to look that up the Dollar House program and uh, tune in next week at 2 o'clock for another exciting edition of the Call Tyrone Show.